When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business, The Restless Ones. Join me, Jonathan Strickland, as I explore the coming technological revolution with the restless business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they are ready, curious, excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. In each episode, we'll learn more from the restless ones themselves and dive deep into how the 5G revolution could enable their teams to thrive. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, I gotta be honest with you. Sometimes I suggest podcast topics specifically because... They apply to my life. <laughs> and it gives me an excuse to get some greater insight into why I do certain things. Okay. I'm not talking about the douching episode. <laughs> I'm talking about apologizing. Mm-hmm. I have a verbal tick and it is saying I'm sorry. But it's good to apologize, right? Oh, not when I haven't actually done anything wrong. Oh, well, what are you apologizing for? I'm apologizing for things that happen to other people. I'm apologizing for just saying something that I, I might be interrupting, perhaps. Uh, I'm apologizing for really Anything, just doing the preface of "I'm sorry," but oh, mm. I'm sorry if if I feel like I have done anything at all that's not entirely perfect. I might just say I'm sorry, and mm. it's something that. Speaking of stuff, mom never told you. It is something that my mom, I know, does a lot because, ironically. It's a pet peeve of mine when she'll toss out an I'm sorry. If I'm talking to her about something that I'm frustrated with and she responds, oh, I'm sorry. And I say, it it didn't happen to you. And then she says, well, I'm sorry for saying that. And then we get into this tumbleweed of apologies. So we got to sort me out, Caroline. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, when you suggested this, I was thinking about it and I'm thinking like, you know, you just mentioned interrupting or just like even approaching someone in conversation and apologizing. And, and I don't know that I do that so much, but I guess, you know, honestly, like this has made me want to listen to myself more closely because usually when we do topics like this, and I'm like, I never do that. And then I, you know, I go home later that day and I'm like, oh, man, I've done that 17 times. I've been catching myself doing it so much that whereas some people set up a swear jar, uh-huh. I would like to set up an apology jar, yeah. a, a pointless apology jar, because sometimes you need to apologize. But when it gets to the point of being this verbal tick, I, 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 I it irks me. Yeah, because I know I shouldn't be apologizing. I wonder if I should take more of the John Wayne stance. Who once said, 
Never apologize. It's a sign of weakness. Well, and that's the closest I can get to a John Wayne. I, sure. I, I, uh, I think, um, I think that's not true. I think it's not a sign of weakness when you mean it, when it's called for. And I don't know that I would even say that your unnecessary apologies are a sign of weakness. I, I think that you are a very polite person. And you don't want to come off as like being, you know, an interrupter. Well, well, let's let's dial things back and take me out from under the microscope and, and do a broad brush of all of the many apology gender stereotypes. Because you already tossed out one, which is that women apologize more. And then there's that men don't want to admit that they're wrong. We assume that men avoid apologizing because of the whole John Wayne thing, because they think it's a sign of weakness. And then, you know, speaking about women, just the idea that we're we're too contrite and that we're we're just generally more courteous than men are and that we're making people mad when we speak up. Yeah. Or just kind of doing anything sometimes. And many researchers have said that women indeed apologize more often. There is a 1989 study that's often cited in apology literature, um, which was uh, one of the, the seminal papers that came out saying, yes, indeed, women apologize more. But the methodology is a little iffy because essentially they had a team of research assistants keep an apology diary. And it turns out that the women research assistants documented 75 percent of the apologies during this given time. But most of the research assist- assistants were women to begin with. So you you didn't have exactly an equal pool. Right. And then there's linguist uh, Deborah Tannen, who is also often cited in apology research. And she kind of uses more of an anecdotal approach, saying that, you know, more women do this, more women want apologies and more women offer apologies. Yeah. And I do, though, anecdotally speaking, by her theory that women will use apologies in the same way that I'm talking about as almost a verbal reflex in a way that men might not or might not as much. And she calls this our ritual way of restoring balance to a conversation. And I can totally see that in scenarios when my mom kindheartedly responds, oh, I'm sorry, when I say you know something that has happened that isn't happy. Right. And I mean, I, I think in that verbal reflex, kind of way if you're looking at it that way. Again, it's 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 something, you know, you're talking about wanting to overcome, but it's also another way I think of just saying I'm not better than you. I'm not trying to make you feel, you know, subordinate or less than. You know, I'm not trying to trample on you. It's just it's the type of verbal tick that you employ. For- For better or for worse. Well, and it could also have something to do more with female to female communication because another linguist named Janet Holmes also says that women, yes, do a bulk of the apologizing, but we also do a bulk of the apology receiving and that when we apologize, we often do so to women more often than to men. And I think that's interesting. And I think that's a great like you segue into what we will be talking about, which is the gender, more of the gender division and what men expect versus what women expect. Because, you know, if, if women are both giving more apologies and expecting more apologies, I mean, what what is that saying? That's, that's saying something. Yeah. What does that say about the value of the apology? Because I also feel like if I'm constantly saying I'm sorry just for day to day kinds of things, when I 
really, truly screw up and need to say I'm sorry, has the value of my I'm sorry been diminished, if that makes sense, because of my constant apologizing? Hmm. I I mean, I I wouldn't think so. Well, physiologically speaking, me apologizing to a woman might have more of a relieving or calming effect, at least according to this study from 2009 that was published in the Journal of Behavioral Medicine. Yeah, the study found that physiologically, women respond more to apologies. Their blood pressure and heart rate variability levels return to normal more quickly if they received an apology immediately following a verbal attack. But this was not true for men. And the reason that men might not experience that same physiological reaction to apologies can perhaps be gleaned from a 2010 study from the University of Waterloo that changed our conversation about this gender divide or whether there really is one in apologies. So we had just been talking about sort of anecdotal evidence uh, that women apologize more, that it's more of a verbal tick for us, and that men and women have different perceptions of what apologies mean and their significance. But then in 2010, this study came out of the University of Waterloo and it got a ton of press because researchers said, in fact, women don't apologize more than men. Nope. When you break it down proportionally, women and men apologize the same rate. And so how they came to this conclusion is they did two separate studies. And the first study looked at gender differences in the frequency and the prompting of apologies. And indeed, women did report doling out and receiving more apologies than men. And women were also more likely, fun fact, to apologize to a romantic partner. Not that I don't do that all the time to my boyfriend. (laughs) Well, yeah, in this in this first study, women also reported committing more offenses. Uh, So I wonder if they're more sensitive to what they're not more sensitive, meaning that men aren't sensitive. But I wonder if they're more like, oh, my God, I've done something terrible. When, in fact, the other party has not considered it to be terrible? Caroline, that's exactly the case. When they went in and did a follow-up study looking at, well, why are they apologizing more? Why are they reporting more apologies? They found that women were more likely to judge an offense as apology-worthy, regardless of the victim's gender. So when they broke down the numbers and looked at the apologies doled out and the types of apologies given, whether it was just like a cursory, I'm sorry, or an I did this and I understand that you feel this way and I'm very sorry and I promise to not do that again. They found that the gender differences were completely erased in terms of apology per offense. It's just that women felt like they were doing more things that deserved apologies. Interesting. Yeah, once once men and women see things as offensive, they're both equally likely to apologize. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think that says a lot about these stereotypes of women as like the submissive apologizer smoothing the waters, you know, and men being like these brutes who don't care. Right. And it was also fascinating to see how they found no gender differences also in the manner in which men and women delivered apologies, which also debunks the stereotype about men just not wanting to admit they're wrong or maybe if they're forced to might mumble out and I'm sorry. Right. No, if we feel like we've done something wrong, we're equally likely to apologize. So the question then is, why do women have a lower threshold 
for offense. And if that's the case, then perhaps that's why in that 2009 study that we referenced before the break, women have a stronger physiological reaction to receiving an apology. Hmm. Now, that's me tying together on my own sans rigorous methodology to separate conclusions. But I wonder if they aren't related, though. Yeah, it's funny as we're going over this to think about dude roommate and me and how like there are so many times when I've been like, we need to talk and he won't even realize that, you know, like I will think he's mad at me or I'll, I'll be mad at him and he won't even realize. And he's told me more than once, you know, like, I think you're thinking more about this than I am. And it's like, Oh, well, okay. It's, it's good to, I'm, I'm the one who's more likely to be like, can we talk? I want an apology or I owe you an apology. And he's more likely to be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, and and theorists might say that, well, that might boil down to in conflict situations, men's evolutionary tendencies to fight or flight and women's evolutionary tendencies to tend and befriend. Right. So maybe we are instinctively considering the relationship a little bit more. But that study doesn't answer the question of, What's up with the verbal tick of I'm sorry, what Deborah Tannen called that ritual way of restoring balance to a conversation? Because that doesn't have so much to do with feeling like you've committed an offense and need to make up for it. This is just about just saying those two words as a way to knit a conversation together in a way. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rosewater collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you tell me like, oh, I had a terrible day and I lost my bag and I did this, uh, blah, people were rude to me, I, I might say, well, I'm sorry, you well, know, and, and that's that's me just expressing sympathy and trying to, to 
sympathize and empathize with you to let you know that I'm listening. Yeah. Um, And in the book, I Was Wrong, The Meaning of Apologies by Nick Smith, he looks into this gendered aspect of apologies and cites Sandra Barksky's phenomenology of gendered emotions. And, And she argues that women actually experience more shame. And so perhaps if that is the case then we are more likely to use that apologetic language. Yeah, and 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 looking at this, like reading her definition of shame, she says it's a species of psychic distress occasioned by a self or a state of the self apprehended as inferior, defective, or in some way diminished. Reading that, you know, I, I'm sitting here saying, well, you know, I don't necessarily apologize very much. Like, I just stick to when it's really when I've offended someone. No, I mean, I, I do like thinking about the way that like I might approach you for a big favor or something along those lines. And I will like literally I feel like sometimes make myself physically smaller and be like, "Ooh, Kristen, I'm sorry. Could you? Oh, I hate to do this, but, you know, things like that. Prefacing what I need or or want from someone else with like, "Ooh, I hate to put you out. Exactly. I can tell when I'm on a tear of. I'm sorry that I'm feeling insecure, that it's coming out of a place of uncertainty and maybe some anxiety. And it's almost like a self-soothing measure to do that. And it's all about, in a way, status, which came up in this study on apologies in the workplace. And it came out in June 2013. And it was called me. It was called, do you really expect me to apologize? (laughs) The impact of status and gender on the effectiveness of an apology in the workplace. And it found that the most effective apologies come from people of higher status. So if you get an apology from your manager, you know, it's the real deal. A lot of times that makes you feel a lot better rather than one of us having to apologize to one of our managers. Apologizing up usually does much less, I feel like, than getting the apology from on high. Well, it's interesting that you used the word status and higher status because the same also applies for apologies from men. Yeah, they found that in addition to apologies from managers uh, feeling quite significant and effective, those that come from men and that are delivered to women are also considered the most effective apologies because the researchers think that it's all about expectations. The less we expect an apology, the more significant it feels when we actually get it. Right. And because of the gender stereotypes around apologies, we don't expect men to be forthcoming with an I'm sorry so that when they apologize to us, we're like, oh, my. okay. (laughs) No problem. Here are some muffins I made. I'm sorry if you don't like them. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, it's it's really it's kind of amazing to think how an apology can s- just smooth things over so much when it's when it's genuine. Exactly. But with that status issue, that was one reason why over at Jezebel, Karen Polowatzik says that women need to stop with the apologizing, especially that kind of verbal tick, because she argues that it just undercuts our status over and over again. She says, I think it's that women are expected to be exceptionally grateful for the crumbs tossed our way. And so we show our gratitude by cushioning our wants with a series of, I know this is asking a lot, but, and I hate to ask, but I might sound like an idiot for wondering, but kinds of things. And all of that is tied into, obviously, the constant apologizing. I agree with her on the level that um, constantly being like, 
oh, Kristen, would, I'm sorry, but would you mind? Like, I understand that that is very undercutting. Um, but I, I think it's the, I think for me, my opinion is that the opposite is true for when it is a genuine, genuine, concise apology. If I come to you and I say, Kristen, I'm really sorry. I dented your car. Uh, let me fix this. Like that, that is taking control. I'm, I'm taking responsibility for something and clear, kind of clearing the air. I'm not as much being like, oh, no. Exactly. Because in that case, you are apologizing for something specific that right. you did that was out of line with my car, Caroline. <laughs> Whereas, you know, what Karen's talking about is more in terms of that verbal cushioning. Mm-hmm. Although there might be some empowerment, some social science suggests, in refusing to apologize. This is interesting. Yeah, this was reported on by Shankar Vedantam uh, over at NPR. And he talked about some research done by a, a trio of academics. And they found that willfully not apologizing yields a sense of empowerment and integrity. Yeah. But there's a limit to it. If you just never apologize for anything, you're kind of a jerk. No, actually, you're just a jerk. But... In certain times when you put your foot in the ground and say, no, actually, sorry, not sorry. Then you we, we it almost elevates our status, at least in our minds. Yeah, absolutely. That that feeling of self-worth, because, I mean, you know, using the preface self, I mean, it's kind of self-righteous as well. You kind of feel like, well, no, I'm better than all of you. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm not apologizing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if maybe... I could do a better job of weeding out those mm-hmm. unnecessary I'm sorry's. I bet I would derive a sense of empowerment from that, of simply asking or saying what I mean without having to go ahead and ask forgiveness before I even do it. Right, exactly. And then, I, I don't know, I feel like prefacing something by apologizing, the person that you're asking is like, oh, God, what? Oh, yeah. no, what is she going to ask? They're prepared to disagree with you. Right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Because it's almost like you've gone ahead and devalued what you're about to say. Exactly. But there is another facet of receiving the apology of being on that receiving end of the I'm sorry, when perhaps it's not coming from someone that we don't expect it from. Uh, There was a study that came out of the Rotterdam School of Management at Erasmus University, which found that apologies a lot of times, more often than not, probably out of those workplace settings, leave us wanting. Yeah, you might think that if you are wronged, an apology will make you feel so much better. If she would just apologize, if he would just say, I'm sorry. But they did these studies that had, you know, something happened to a person and then they received an apology, an actual apology, and then just imagining that they received the apology. And the people who imagine the apology... We're like, oh, I, I would feel so much better. But the people who actually received the verbal apology were like, yeah, well, I, I guess it's good they said it. But even though apologies themselves can sometimes be underwhelming, uh, one of the co-authors, David DeKramer, said that they're still crucial because they, quote, trigger a highly scripted reconciliation process. And that's the thing about apologizing is that saying I'm sorry, promise I won't do that again, is only the start of the apology. Right. It's it's an apology is the first step towards mending 
a broken relationship. It restores a kind of social order. And there was one, uh, who was the writer? Was it like a, I feel like it was kind of an etiquette writer who said that the failure to accept an apology turns the victim into the transgressor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if I do something to you and I apologize for it, but you're still really like PO'd and you don't accept my apology, that makes you into the rude person. It's I, true. I feel like I've experienced this situation before, but I'm on both sides, like stalked away and been like, well, that's their problem. I have probably apologized for not accepting an apology before. <laughs> it's true. Um, but it's interesting, though, that uh, Tom Jacobs, writing at Pacific Standard, says that we are living... And other people have said this, too, in these uh, this apology literature that we looked at, that we live in a culture of apologies, whether it's just the interpersonal apology or something as massive as setting up truth commissions and having government apologies for atrocities that have happened in the past. Um, it's our way. It's it, He says that apologizing has evolved into a nuanced ritual. So much so that these academic disciplines are developing around, well, what are we actually doing when we're apologizing? Does it really do anything? It's a script that we follow a lot of times, but it changes so much depending on status, gender, what we really mean when we say I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, especially when you have somebody like Anthony Weiner who just keeps taking it out and taking pictures of it and then apologizing. I mean, yeah. It's like we're like, OK, he messed up again. Let's let's have the press conference where he apologizes. It's like, why why is the apology and his press conference more important than the fact that he's a total sleazeball? Well, that, though, gets into the issue of the non-apology. Right. And I would say that in the in the apology spectrum, the worst you can do is deliver the non-apology because you're going through the, the the motions of an apology, but you don't really mean it. And usually it's pretty obvious that it's a non-apology. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that a lot of times the recipient of a non-apology is only feel feels only more violated. Oh, sure. Well, I've I've done it. I, I've made non-apologies and I've received non-apologies. And usually when I'm making a non-apology, like using an if statement or I'm sorry that you feel mm-hmm. this way. It's because I, I consider the other person's view to be inaccurate, incorrect, whatever. And so I, I tend to not use non-apologies unless I do want to make it clear that I completely disagree with you over whatever the topic is. No, Caroline, you should, you should then put your foot down and not apologize at all. I know. Then I'll, you could get that sense of integrity and empowerment. Yeah, I could feel better. And then not have to circle back around and apologize for the non-apology. Um, although I, I was amused to find that Hebrew University of Jerusalem assistant professor of communications, Zohar Kampf, outlined 14 different types of non-apologies in a 2008 article. And I believe that he found these different brands of non-apologies by reading public apologies from either CEOs or uh, government leaders, basically people who had had done wrong and had to apologize once they had been caught. Especially people in the financial sector who basically caused the recession. And when they were uh, giving statements, they said things to the effect of like, I'm sorry at... 
people's losses. I'm sorry about people's misfortunes instead of I'm sorry for wrecking the economy. Yeah. Taking actual responsibility. Right. And one thing that jumped out at me from his research was uh, he said that referring to an offensive action as a mistake is a type of non-apology because by just calling it a mistake, you are minimizing your guilt. Yeah. Like saying, you, I, I didn't mean to. Yeah. You shouldn't be mad at me. Yeah. I didn't mean to do it. Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. Everybody hurts. Exactly. So not to close with an apology, <laughs> but I realized that in a lot of ways I have co-opted this episode, but I couldn't get enough of this research because it was so enlightening to dissect why we apologize so much and the purposes that it serves, especially in the context of making the the apology just to apologize. Yeah, and I think the people who do so, whether male or female, um, do tend to be the people who want to smooth things over. Mm-hmm. They they don't want to ruffle feathers or, or or they want to reassure you that, you know, they don't mean any harm by what they're what they're doing. And so and I also think that, you know, a lot of those apologies of like, oh, I'm sorry you had a bad day or I'm sorry that, you know, you it rained on your parade. Yeah. And that's expressing concern. And I don't I don't see anything wrong with that at all. It's more when it ties into the status and power issue that I want to adjust my apologizing behavior. But to answer the question of whether men or women apologize more, it is clear that women do apologize more. Mm -hmm. But we got to keep in mind that it's because we find uh, more things that we do apology worthy. And so maybe that's what we should think about in terms of, well, why, why do we think that we, that this is an offense worthy of an apology? Yeah. Sorry, not sorry, ladies. How about that? How about not sorry at all? So who can relate to me? I know I have apology happy friends out there listening. Please write in momstuff at discovery.com. Um, and if you have tried to weed out excessive apologies in your life, I want to hear all of your stories. You can email them to us. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast or send us a Facebook message as well. And we've got a couple of Facebook messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rosewater collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports.
And now, back to our letters. So we've got a couple of Facebook messages here on our episode on women and true crime. And the first one is from Courtney. And she writes, I'm a closeted true crime fan, although closeted no more, Courtney. Uh, I remember watching Rescue 911 as a kid and being utterly fascinated. I prefer the victim-centered, I-survived types of things over stories with tragic endings by far, but I do read and watch those as well. Honestly, I've creeped myself out more than once, wondering what the H is wrong with me that I'm interested in this stuff. Through my soul-searching, I've discovered a definite desire to hear how people, not just women, ended up in the circumstances they found themselves in, how they got out of those situations, and what happened to the perpetrator. I suppose I feel more empowered thinking through potentially threatening circumstances, and my hope is that if the unthinkable should ever happen, I would be calmer and better equipped to deal with it. Who knows if it would when it came right down to it, but I think it actually helps me sleep better at night knowing, thinking, hoping I've processed through the worst-case scenario. Anyway, great show again. I was a little nervous that it would be what is wrong with you psychos type of episode. But as usual, I was pleasantly surprised to hear your I get it, even if I don't approach. Thanks, ladies. And thank you, Courtney. Okay, I have a message here from Katrina. She says, I'm a woman and I started getting interested in true crime my senior year in high school because the mentor I was working with for my senior project had two search and rescue dogs, one of which was a cadaver dog, a dog trained specifically to locate dead bodies. I kept reading more and more about that, which led me to anthropology, specifically forensic anthropology and Dr. Bill Bass. It's now kind of spiraled out of control. Winky face. I love trying to solve the mystery if I don't know the case and or gather some clues as to why this person committed this crime. If you were to look at my bookshelf, you would think I was nuts. Anyway, the real reason I wanted to write is that I hate that women have to call something a guilty pleasure. Why do we, as women, have to feel guilty about liking something? I also wanted to touch on crime in media and non-white women. Many crime TV shows actually have a diverse background of women and men who are victims. Yes, there are probably more white women than not, but shows like Criminal Minds and CSI have had many episodes and cases that dealt with non-white women. So I wonder if it is just printed material that is this way? You mentioned Law & Order SVU, and many of the crimes on that show are taken from real cases. And Katrina goes on to say that she really doesn't like romance novels and that part of the reason I read mystery slash true crime slash crime is that because I like solving mysteries, but also many times the woman in the books doesn't mind kicking butt every once in a while. So thanks for the message, Katrina. And thanks to everybody who's written in. You can message us on Facebook like Courtney and Katrina did. You can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Email us, MomStuffAtDiscovery.com. And for some fun stuff, we are on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou, as well as on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And, of course, we are on YouTube. Head on over and check out our channel. It's YouTube.com slash StuffMomNeverToldYou. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your computer, tablet, mobile device, or gaming console. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to netflix.com slash mom and sign up now. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 
95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.